Well, his sins, they are many. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Uh, I, that was my request this week, and I've just been listening to that chorus and really uh, just letting it really refresh me and bless me. And, uh, you know, when I, when I listen to a song like that, when I think about this idea of, like, God's mercy, God's nature uh, being really just uh, wrapped in mercy, um, it, it just reminds me that he is everything that I am not. And uh, at the same time, he's everything that I want to be. He's everything that I aspire to be. And so uh, it's interesting, you know, when these topics come up, honestly, I'll see kind of the list of topics and the list of topics that kind of go beside my name. Uh, and honestly, like, I, I think we should start drafting topics is what I'm going to suggest that maybe we start drafting topics because these would not be the ones that I put on my fantasy team that I picked for myself. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, if you've ever been uh, kind of in a situation where you're preparing like this, um, you really kind of go through the process, and uh, God really works you through the process, and so I'll just have you know that anytime a topic like gentleness, which is today, comes up, um, I have to sit under the weight of that, you know, all week and really thinking and processing it through, so um, I also get the privilege of getting to present uh, this concept, this idea, this, uh, this very real and tangible thing uh, that is part of God's nature, and so, um, you know, and, it, and, and interestingly, like, I, I keep the topics I've pulled this month, I'm like, man, that's those are glaring weaknesses of mine. And so I can stand before you and say that. Um, but, you know, again, Jesus is everything that I am not, yet he's everything that I aspire to be. And by the power of the Spirit, I actually can possess some of these things. And, and change can come, and God can mold me and make me, and so I'm grateful for that. But I'll just confess up front, there is no gentle in my genetics. And I, I don't know if anybody else is kind of in that same boat, and you're like, you know what, like gentle is not on the list of traits of just ways that people would describe me. And, uh, you know, I, I thought this is an ironic topic to have to kind of grapple with because there really is no gentle in my genetics. Uh, I could illustrate this in a variety of different ways. One of the ways that, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is in construction projects. I'm more of a demo day kind of guy. Anybody else with me on that? Like, yes, knocking things down. I have no problem with that. Putting them back together neatly, a eh, little bit more difficult. And uh, my wife, she has more faith in me than I have in myself sometimes on things like this because she'll come up with something. You know, who invented Pinterest, by the way? I just, I'd, I'd like to know uh, because they've made me a whole lot busier and my to-do list a whole lot longer. But she'll come up with this thing about, look, it just, it's just like that. Like it's, and look, they just have like 10 easy steps and you can make it look just like that. And I'm like, Oh, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll go for that. Now, I will say if, if done is your goal, I'm your guy. I can get things done. But you want it to look just like that picture? I don't know. That's not, I probably won't. Uh, precision is not really my gift set. Um, this is also true in my golf game. Uh, you couldn't even really call it a game, golf game, I don't think. Uh, my lack of golf game, I should say. But I have one club I really enjoy, and you can imagine what that is. It's the driver, right? Like, give me the big club. Like, I'm going to come out and just swing as hard as I can with all my might. And let's just hope it doesn't do this crazy, you know, bank to the right thing like it tends to do. And then I'm like three fairways over yelling four. You know, like, I have no idea where it's ending up. Um, they also have this other little thing that comes in your bag, though, too. It's called the putter, and uh, I, I don't know at all what to do with that, right? The delicate putting game is not really my thing, um, and I could go on and on. One of the, one of the things that, um, you know, that is, it makes 
sheds light on this too is uh, exiting the house in the morning. I, apparently, I've been described as being elephant-footed, exiting the house in the morning. Um, so I'm not real gentle on my feet either. And uh, I honestly, I, I feel like I'm a ninja. That's I, I really, I feel like I'm a ninja exiting, but the reports back to me for those that are sleeping is that I'm anything but a ninja. And so there's no gentle in my gene pool. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. And, and, and unfortunately, I'm seeing that now replay in my kids and uh, on our three boys and specifically this last one he's as sweet as they get but he is also what we refer to as mod which is he knows it is the master of disaster and uh, if there's something that needs broken or something that just for some reason needs dumped out he's your guy and uh, he'll just, he's glad to help. He'll pull out, pour out an entire box of cereal or smash something that any of the boys have just built. He just, that's his, you know, and then, did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. You know, so he's kind of matter of fact about it. But one of the things that's really interesting about him is he has this, like, when he's been told no, like, he'll throw the classic fit on the ground and get upset. But he does one that's interesting, too, like, where he just he'll pop it in reverse. Like, he just gets mad, and he just starts backing up backing up. It's like it builds until finally he just like goes crashing into whatever is behind him, right? And uh, so the other day, Jess was at CVS picking something up, and he starts backing down an aisle, and he's just backing up, backing up, and she looks up, and it's the wine aisle. And I'm like, she's like, she was so panicked. She's like, it went and like grabbed him because he will not stop until he crashes into something that stops him. And so thankfully I didn't have to buy a whole bunch of, you know, CVS bottles of wine. Uh, it worked out. But there is really no gentle in my genetics, and maybe you can relate to that. Now, while I say that, and really when we talk about all of these qualities, really the recurring theme has been by my own nature, by my own power, none of these things are possible, including gentleness, which we're going to talk about today. But while we might not be able to possess these things by birth, we can possess them by rebirth in Christ. And that's really uh, the point of all of this is that by God's power, we can see these things replicating in our lives. And so while there is no gentleness in my genetics, gentleness was at the core of who Jesus was. Now, we're going to make some sense about what exactly the Bible means when it describes Jesus as gentle. And also, um, as we think about this quality and characteristic of gentleness. But interestingly, this is the one time that Jesus, and Charles Spurgeon points this out um, in one of his messages, that there's one verse in Scripture in the New Testament where Jesus describes his own heart. Now, there's a lot of Scriptures where we can learn something or something is implied about who Jesus was or about his heart. But there's one verse where Jesus specifically describes himself and his own heart, and that is in Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. And it says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, here it is, gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so when Jesus gives us this self-revelation, when he opens up this window into his own heart, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. I mean, what an interesting thing to think when you really think about who was Jesus, who is, who is, what, what is most descriptive of Jesus. Most of us probably would not say gentle and lowly, but that is who Jesus is. And this is how we can describe him. Dane Ortland in his book, which takes the verse as its title, Gentle and Lowly, he says the following about when, when we asked about Jesus' heart. He says, when we're asking, what we're asking about what is most natural to him, 
what ignites within him most immediately as he moves towards sinners and sufferers, what flows out, uh, what flows out of him most uh, freely and instinctively. If his heart had a reflex the way your knee may have a reflex, what would it be? What would it be its purest inclination? That's what we're after when we ask about the Lord's heart. And that's when Jesus says is the most natural inclination is that he is gentle and lowly. This is who he is. Now, uh, as with all of these, what we've tried to do is say, okay, what does it exactly mean to say that Jesus was gentle? What does it mean to have this quality, this characteristic being reproduced in our lives of gentleness? And so I just want to give you some descriptive ideas here of what the biblical nature of gentleness was in God's, is found in God's nature that, again, can be reproduced in our own lives. And so here's the first idea. And I think the first thing we have to do is sort of distance ourselves from the idea that meekness or gentleness as we've been talking about is weakness meekness is not weakness now i think a lot of times we have this kind of cultural definition of of meekness or, or gentleness that just means that this is somebody that's like soft or weak or can't handle themselves you know can't handle their own business whatever it might be or it's this um, lack of passion or just general apathy toward life or injustice or whatever it might be but when we understand that Jesus was this at his very core, Jesus was anything but weak. In fact, he was the strongest and most powerful person that ever walked planet Earth. Now, again, he emptied himself of those things for our sake, but Jesus possessed greater power than anyone ever could know. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually power. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, We'll talk about that here in just a second. But meekness, I'll give you the definition for meekness. Meekness is power that is handled with great care. It's not weakness. It's actually the opposite. Now, let me just kind of make the case this way. Think about when you're telling somebody to be gentle. Usually, who are you telling to be gentle? You're usually telling somebody to be gentle who is in a position of power over somebody else, i.e., every, every day, it seems, I'm saying, hey, Eli, be gentle with your little brother, right? Because he does not understand that he has a lot more power and he could crush this little guy, yet he comes in, you know, hot and all this. And so it's typically the person that is in that position of greater power that you have to remind to be, hey, be gentle, be careful with that power you possess because you could crush so-and-so, right? It's the same reason, I'll be honest with you, when I go and, and, and like see somebody that just had a new baby, and that baby is just so delicate, you know? It's like, like fine china, you know, and I'm like, you know, even with my own kids, like it's one thing, but like when you go and visit, and, and they always ask you, like, do you want to hold the baby? And I'm like, I already told you guys, I got no gentle in my, gene, you know, gene pool. Like I, I do not, I don't trust myself with that level of power. And it's always like weird with the head. You got to like get the head just right, you know, because the head is like it just flop over, you know, like you got to get everything. And they're just, they just feel so, um, you know, gentle. Now. Um, we have to treat that situation with the greatest level of care. Why? Because there's this disparity between my power and this fragile little child, right? I actually remember when I visited Emily and Roberto in the hospital, they had just had their first uh, Anderson, and I, I was on crutches at the time. You know, again, gentleness not in my gene pool. I could make that case over and over. But I'm going to visit them at the hospital, and they asked me, like, you want to hold the baby? And I'm like, no, I don't think so, you know. And just as I was, like, saying that, I, like, leaned my crutches up against the wall, and they came and crashed down and, like, knocked a vase over. I was like, my point exactly. Like, you know, I'm not touching the baby, right? 
But it's in those positions, those moments in our lives where we have been given and trusted some level of power, some level of authority, when we have to be most mindful of the meekness meter. How are we doing in, in, when it comes to meekness when we have been given some level of power? Now, again, Jesus is the perfect example of someone that could absolutely crush us, yet he doesn't. He doesn't use his power to crush or destroy us. He doesn't misuse his power. He is the picture of what it looks like to use power and authority most appropriately, and he does it meekly. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet says about Jesus. He says, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised weed, he, uh, bruised weed, a bruised reed. He will not break. Now, what's a bruised reed? It's like a, you know, like a, like one of those reeds out in, you know, if you're hiking along or whatever. But one of them is kind of broken and limp already. He's like, he's not going to crush that. He's not going to break that. He's not going to uh, a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. So if there's, imagine this candle that's just barely lit. It's just flickering. He's not going to go, you know, blow that out. But he's making this point here that he is, he's gentle. In faithfulness, it says he will bring forth justice. I mean, you look at his entire life, you know, the powerful king of the universe birthed into a manger. Every encounter, you see that he was the epitome of meekness. But though he possessed this great power, he never leveraged it for his own advantage. But we, hear, we read that he emptied himself for the advantage of others. Now, think about Palm Sunday, right? When Jesus is rolling in, you know, into town. And if there was ever a king that deserved a great parade, right? Like all, everything you can imagine for royalty. I mean, the king of the universe marching into town. But how does Jesus come into town? Gentle, riding on a donkey. Jesus was meek. I think about another situation, and one of, one of my favorite stories is this story, and really Jesus, the moment of Jesus' betrayal, the, all of the, the authorities and powers are coming to take Jesus in to, um, to, to accuse him and to imprison him. He's been betrayed in this moment. And Peter, in this moment, he sees everybody rolling up, and he's like, all right, it's go time. Like, let's go, let's go. You know, he's, all, he's always the one that's ready to be triggered, you know. And sure enough, he's like ready to, like, we're fighting, right, Jesus? Like, let's go. Like, he still doesn't quite get the whole point of what Jesus has been talking about, about going to the Christ. He doesn't get it all. And so he's ready to, like, you're, gonna, you're not taking him under my, you know, while I'm standing here, and slices off this guy's ear and it's, it's and, and Jesus, even in that moment, just displays this incredible gentleness to those that were coming against him. And he points to Peter's like, hey, bro, listen, I know you're, I appreciate your passion here. You know, I appreciate your passion. I, I appreciate what you're doing. But then he points out something interesting. Listen to what it says in Matthew 26, 51 through 53. He says, behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think, listen to this, that I could appeal to my father and he will not at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? I don't need your dinky little sword, bro. Like, that's what he's like. Listen, like, I, you're missing the point. I could handle myself in this situation. I have plenty of power, and God would literally call upon legions of angels to wipe out these armies if I just lifted a finger and said, let's go. But I'm not doing that. I'm demonstrating meekness in this situation. I'm not coming in a play of power, but a play of surrender and sacrifice. And the greater power that we possess, the greater care we must employ. 
You remember that line from Spider-Man? Where, is it, is it Peter? You Marvel folks are going to hate me. But is it Peter Parker's grandpa or his uncle? Uncle, right. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. So his uncle, he says that with great power comes great what? Responsibility, right? Now think about the places where you've been entrusted authority and power. Are you a, uh, a leader in some regard where people have put their trust in you? Are you a parent? Are you a teacher? Right? These are the places often where we have power, where our power can be misused or abused, or we can use it to, be, to domineer over people. So meekness is not weakness. It's handling great power with care. And Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. That's interesting. Why the meek? Well, because they know how to handle a power and authority when they're given it. They know how to handle it well. They're not abusers, misusers, or domineers in the way that they use power. So meekness is not weakness. Number two, meekness sheds self-importance and self-interest in exchange for selflessness. That's a big sentence. Meekness sheds self-importance and self-interest in exchange for selflessness. Jesus is at a dinner party one time with these Pharisees and uh, at a Pharisee's house, and he notices the thing that probably happens time and time again, and that's this, this jockeying for position. You see, there was like places of honor back then, or you sit at like the place of honor, and so there were certain seats that were reserved for like people of greater honor kind of on down the way, and so Jesus was noticing this jockeying for like the seat of honor, and uh, you know, you got to love Jesus because he calls out via parable. It's like, you know, he's like, this is everybody sitting around jockeying for power. He's like, hey, that reminds me of a story, you know, and he tells a story that totally, and he's not even subtle in this one, which I love. It says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to give, go and take the place of least importance. I mean, imagine how awkward that moment is. It's just like, hey, you know, they're all doing this thing. It's like, that reminds me of a time, you know, and he goes on to tell the story. But he says this instead, but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And here's the point. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Something I often share with couples when I do their wedding is I actually give them, I say, hey, I want you to compete in this way in the rest of your life. Like I give them a competition. You know, who doesn't love a good competition? You know, it's, maybe it's the CrossFit coach in me, but I'm like, I want, here's what I want you to compete at. Like this is you guys against each other. I'm going to pitch you against each other in this one thing. And, uh, and I was like, it's actually not my idea. It's, it's the Apostle Paul's idea. He told the Romans this. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love and then honor one another above yourselves. And then I like, there's another version that puts it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. If you're going to outdo each other, outdo each other in showing honor. And what you find is that if you compete at that, if you try to be the winner at that, that I'm going to, I'm going to outdo you in, in showing honor and back and forth it goes, everybody wins. And so what would it look like in our, in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationships, in our society, if we just made every effort to, with meekness, outdo one another in showing honor and, and, and elevating one another? 
Many of you might know that I'm, I love history, and Abraham Lincoln is one of my just favorite guys to learn about and study, and just an incredible leader. Uh, there's this book called Team of Rivals that talks about how Lincoln basically took all of his opponents and brought them together to form kind of this dream team around him, right? And so nobody does, takes their political opponents like, that's going to be my team. That's my cabinet. Those are my guys, right? But this is essentially what Lincoln did. And it was really just interesting to kind of read about um, how he was able to get over his own self-importance for the sake of building a good team and, and pulling people together. Um, there was a lot of other characteristics about him that I really, I feel like he lived out this idea of like humble leadership. Uh, it was rumored that Lincoln had met every single soldier who had enlisted for the Union Army early in the war. Now, whether or not that was true or that was uh, a hyperbole, regardless, it was noted that he spent time to get to know these guys. He was undoubtedly out in the battlefield more than any other commander-in-chief, despite urges for him not to be there because, hello, you're in the battlefield, you're the president, right? Like, so, but he's down there with the guys. He's down there getting to know them and offering support. In Donald T. Phillips' book, Lincoln on Leadership, uh, he says, Lincoln was probably the most accessible chief uh, executive in the United States has ever known. John uh, Nicolay and John Hay, his personal secretaries, reported that Lincoln spent 75% of his time meeting with people. No matter how busy the president was, he always seemed to find time for those who called on him. And that's what great leaders do. This is the idea of Jesus saying he's gentle and lowly. He's accessible. Right? He makes himself, he's not too self-important or self-interested that he can't think about the needs of others. And Jesus was the best by far. He shed his own power and importance for us. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. The third idea is this. Meekness empathizes with others' weakness. It empathizes with others' weakness. There was a college professor that I'd heard about. He, he met his new class on the first day of school. He stood before the students. He was standing up there, and he gave them this, you know, introduction about himself. And then on completion of his monologue, he's still standing there looking around the room, and he says, if any of you think you're stupid, stand up. As he looked around the room, he saw that none of his students stood up, and so he proceeded to ask the same question again. If anyone thinks he or she is stupid, please stand up. The college professor looked around, and to his surprise, one student in the back of the room stood up, and the professor asked, so you think you're stupid? The first-year student replied, no, I just didn't want you to be standing there alone. <laughs> Empathy is one of the greatest gifts we can offer one another to not want to leave one another standing alone. One of the strongest gestures we can make is standing with someone in solidarity. This is a gift of meekness. Or sitting with someone in their pain or their weakness. Praying with someone in their suffering. Demonstrating grace to someone amidst their struggle. Helping restore a brother or sister who's been gripped or caught in the act of sin. All of these are opportunities for us to demonstrate meekness by standing with, being with someone else in solidarity. That is what we have in Christ, one who empathizes with our weakness. Hebrews 10, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is how we demonstrate the meekness of Christ to others, is in the same way that we receive his empathy and one who empathizes with us, we empathize with others. I think it's natural thing to worry about when somebody's going through something to be like, 
I don't, I don't know what to say, you know, or I don't know how to act. And that's sometimes we sort of tiptoe around people that are going through a diff, difficult time or having some, some sort of weakness that they're facing. And we don't know how to always approach those situations. And I, I can feel that same way where I'm like, I, I don't exactly know the right words or how to encourage this person or what to say. But I remember some advice I was given in seminary, and it was, it's always stuck with me that people aren't going to really remember much of what you said. I was like, well, that's encouraging, you know. But people aren't really going to remember readily remember what you said as much as how you made them feel. And so think about opportunities that you have and how you're making people feel. It's not so much about what you say in that moment. Just, just being there with them in their moments of difficulty. Henry Nguyen once said that we, when we honestly ask ourselves which people uh, in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those that instead of giving advice or solutions or cures have chosen rather to share our pain, to touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. So what opportunities do you have to do that here and now, to just be with somebody, to sit with somebody, to offer someone your empathy? Number four, meekness does not desire to be served, but to serve. Now, I think by nature, that's really quite opposite all of us, right? It's like at some level, if we're really honest with ourselves, we like kind of being served. We like our needs being met. We like to sort of emphasize ourselves in whatever moment or situation. And it really is a counter-cultural kind of act. A counter, um, it's counter our nature to really respond in that way. But the more that we act our way toward this, the more we become like a servant, which is what Jesus taught us to be. We were uh, over at my mom and dad's for uh, dinner a, a few weeks back, and uh, Aiden is very intuitive about things. He, he noticed something that maybe the rest of us weren't really paying much attention to, but he, he quite intuitively asked my mom the other day when we were over there, um, he calls her Mimi, Mimi, why are you always the last to the table? It's a good question. It made the rest of us feel like junk, so I appreciate that, but you know, it's like, it like, why are you always the last to the table? And we all know the answer, and the answer is because serving is second nature to her now. It's just what she's done. She's done it as a mother. She's done it as a nurse. She, she, even now in this time when uh, my grandparents are needing extra help, she's always so, she's there. She's the one that's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up to serve. I'm going to show up to meet somebody else's needs. She's always worrying about other people's needs, almost to a fault sometimes. And I'm like, but, but this is who she is. And she's always the last to the table because she's making sure that everybody else's needs are met first. I think if we want to be meek in the way that Jesus is meek, it's actually, it, it's simpler than we make it. It's coming not to be served, but to serve. Say, hey, I'm just here to serve. I, I want to make sure everybody else's needs are met first and foremost. It's, it's essentially being last to the table. And service is really what meekness looks like in motion. Service is just meekness in motion. It's us saying, you know what, I'm not too self-important or self-involved or so involved with my, you know, worried about myself that I can't meet the needs of others. And so we have to kind of get out of our own way and find opportunities to put other people ahead of ourselves. And that's really, in a simple way, as hard as that can be to kind of get used to and to allow to become second nature in us, that's what meekness looks like in motion. It's, it's being last to the table. It's being first into the fire, right? When there's a difficulty, when there's a challenge, when somebody, when we need somebody to act, it's the first is saying, you know what? Despite my own self-interest, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to run into the danger. I'm going to run at danger. It's putting others' needs ahead of your own. And I just want to take a moment here to kind of think about one final story 
where Jesus really illustrates this to us. And maybe you'll remember this story, and it's a, it, it's, it's a time when Jesus was really preparing his disciples for the time when he would be gone. And one of the important lessons that he wanted to leave them with was this idea of what it looks like to be a servant. Now, in that time, um, it, would, it would make absolutely no sense for a rabbi, somebody that was in an esteemed position, to in any way take the posture of a servant. And in one of his final teaching moments, when they're sharing some intimate moments, Jesus pulls out a towel, and he he says, I need to wash your guys' feet. Now, this was unthinkable because this was a dirty job, and I won't get into all of it, but basically the streets were disgusting back then, and feet were disgusting back then. And so Jesus taking this posture and saying, I'm going to clean dirty feet was unthinkable. But he he, he tells us, I've done this to set an example for you. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. It says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, rather, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And so it is true with us that we have opportunities to do that very thing, to demonstrate meekness to others and set meekness in motion by uh, whatever act of service, whatever opportunities come along. And so I just want to encourage you to continue to look for those opportunities and look for those moments because sometimes these qualities have a way of like we got to, they got to start to become second nature by us doing something, stepping toward them, employing those things in our lives. And so as Jesus' disciples, I just want to encourage you, we are not here to be served but to serve. We are here to wash dirty feet. We are here to be last to the table. We are here to use our power, not to our own advantage, but to the advantage of others. And what we learn as we do this is that we are truly blessed as we do, that blessed really are the meek. Because God brings us everything that, I, that we need. He continues to care for us and elevate us in the way that he elevated Christ. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we're going to sing that one chorus a couple more times here just to remind us that once again, Jesus is everything that we are not, and all the while he's everything that we aspire to be, that, that we could possess the mercy and the meekness of Christ, that though our sins were many, his mercy was more. Let's pray. God, thank you for just how you care for us. Thank you for how you meet every need, God. Thank you.